Hello and welcome to the third episode of Family Office Sessions with Agrius. We are joined today by Serge Crankton Bloom, who is the chairman and creator of IQEQ, the uh, corporate services and trust firm, and Christopher Costi, who is a colleague of mine who leads our trust and fiduciary desk at Agrius. Welcome to both of you and thank you for making the time to join us. The reason I wanted to bring both of your brilliant minds together today is to talk about all things trusts. And it's been a year for it. We've had, you know, we've had Biden come into power and we've had proposed billionaire taxes. We've had Brexit and what that might mean for things like social mobility and moving family office structures. We've had increased regulation and the idea of this unravelling of the Dodd-Frank Act. So there's been lots and lots of things to discuss. And I thought it would be great to get you both together today to talk about those things and a lot more. <laughs> so to begin with, Serge, you are the chairman of IQEQ, the trust and corporate services firm that you founded some 30 years ago. What have been your favourite and scariest moments over those three decades? I think it has been scary all the time. (laughs) Because, I mean, you were mentioning the change in terms of regulations. And it has happened many times. There were big changes of regulations in our industry. And at the same time, it's a threat. Every time it's a threat. But it's also an incredible opportunity. Because we make money out of regulation. And this is really, I mean, the the people in our industry, they were able to transform their business model to uh, make sure that they would be uh, helping, supporting clients, be their family offices or asset managers, through the new regulations, have been the winners. And uh, there will be further changes in terms of regulation. It's more and more complex. It's more and more sophisticated, which means that people need support. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And to think about your role today, um, you know, we spoke about regulation, we'll touch upon that again later. Um, I think when we first spoke, you mentioned that today is actually the scariest time of it all. So perhaps regulation aside, why do you think today is a scary time within the trust world, or perhaps the whole world? <laughs> because there are so many changes that have not been... I mean, nobody could uh, could have uh, guessed that there was going to be anything about the global pandemic. Mm-hmm. And also regarding the, I mean, the war in Europe. And look at, look at the changes. From one day to the other, you have some... I mean, people of one citizenship who are not welcome anymore, anywhere. So one, from one day to the other... It's also a lesson, you know, I mean, without speaking of geopolitics, it's a lesson for each and every family office. They need to have a plan B, they need to have a plan C. Mm-hmm. You never know what can happen, you know. You can be top of the, uh, the list one day and you can be, uh, you know, uh, top of the wanted list <laughs> on another day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this is why it's so scary and people are afraid of that. You know, people, I mean, resent definitely, I mean, everything that is happening in, uh, in Ukraine now. But at the same time, they realize that uh, from one day to the other, their whole life can change. All their accounts can be blocked. Uh, their family office can be uh, uh, turned upside down. So it's, uh, it's not, it's really scary. Yeah. And I think we've been saying about how, you know, it's it's the year of unpredictability or it's an uncertain era. But when you think about it, we've been saying that for about five years. (laughs) We just keep saying the (laughs) next year is the the year of uncertainty. Um, And talking about planning generally, as I I mentioned, you're the chairman of IQEQ now. 
what does your role within the community look like? And I have to say, for anyone listening that doesn't know, you're on our Thought Leadership Council. So, of course, that's top of the, <laughs> top of the priority list. But what, what does your role in the community look like today? So my, my role, I mean, within the group is uh, mostly strategy and, uh, and acquisitions, everything which is non-organic growth. And also the strategy has been always fulfilled also through the acquisitions we have made. So we, we have changed the client mix, you know, year after year. We have changed the geographies. And part of it has been done through uh, important acquisitions, be there um, uh, in terms of geographies, also of market segments. And that's what we, we aim at. But globally, my uh, main responsibility and my main goal is to make sure that our business is going to be sustainable. And not only in the sustainability uh, uh, definition that we have today, which is mostly green and these kind of things, but it's to make sure that the business is going to be there 40 years down the line. And for that, you need to, um, to ensure that you are... Uh, having the right, the right uh, um, type of services, you are looking after the right type of clients, and uh, you have always to, uh, to plan and to, um, and to make sure that your business is going to be uh, the business that people, that first of all, it's going to be acceptable, because some, some type of activities are not going to be acceptable in a few years. Uh, anymore, and uh, and also to make sure that you're equipped for uh, the the next generation. Yeah, yeah, and you know we've spoken about a lot already about regulation or or the war in Ukraine and a lot of factors that have impacted us over the last few years, such as the pandemic. We do a lot, of, as we mentioned, thought leadership at Agrius, and one of the surveys that we conducted recently found that in-house at Agrius, a lot of the mandates and inquiries that we've been contacted about have been trust and compliance related. And so while that's always been a segment of our business that, that Chris leads that kind of grew organically out of the family office space, it's, it's more than doubled from the year before. So Chris, I'd love to bring you into this conversation in a moment, but Serge, what other factors do you think are at play that are really causing the surge of demand for, for trust professionals, both inside and outside of, of organisations such as yourself? I think that it's the overall complexity. Everything is very complex. Before, it was easy for family offices to plan and to do uh, uh, legal planning, tax planning, it was easier. First of all, I mean, the families were maybe a little less international or part of them. Now they are very international in terms of the family members being resident in different countries, but also in terms of investments, in terms of assets. So they invest all over the world in order also to, uh, to diversify. And as it is more and more complex, you need to have global support in terms of trust and corporate services because each country has a different regulation. You, have, you need to be, uh, you, cannot, uh, uh, you cannot make the economy of not being compliant. You need to be compliant in all, the, 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 in all terms nowadays in terms of uh, reporting, uh, reporting uh, to, the, uh, to the authorities, reporting to the uh, regulators. It's, it's so important and things have to be done timely as well, which was not always the case in the past in many countries. Mm -hmm. So you need the support. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Chris, we spoke about the fact that we've got all of these factors and the demand has more than doubled from the year before. But imagine trust professionals don't grow on trees. Maybe they do. <laughs> but what, what the challenge is involved in now finding twice as many people as you, you had to before? It's definitely a challenge. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, it's a challenge that we, we strive to, 
to, to commit ourselves and work hard to ensure that these family offices are, are covered. But I think firstly, it's about having a, a strong network of professionals, you know, having covered the trust and corporate services space now for just over 10 years, we, we've sort of built that those relationships with multiple jurisdictions and working in uh, juris- small jurisdictions, you know, the likes of Jersey, Guernsey, where it's, you know, very low populated, um, you have to build a trust with these these professionals. Everyone's got mutual connections, so you have to be very careful with, with who you're working with. And and I think building that trust with these guys is probably the, the first step that you have to do to have to build a strong network of professionals. And I think another challenge is there's a huge demand for trust professionals and having the right professionals in place because having the right professionals essentially means that the, the, the clients are being serviced well. Um, and the I think where clients have to, you know, the likes of IQEQ and other sort of trust service providers and even family offices, they need to sort of ensure that the opportunity is appealing for, for a lot of these professionals and ensure that they can add real value to these organisations. So that, that's kind of what will attract and draw in better talent, I suppose. So, and that can range from so many different areas, you know, philosophy of how they do things, the, the, the cultural environment, the, the, the even reward structures, the long-term objectives, and so many, so many different, different aspects, yeah. So ultimately, it's about making a proposition attractive, first yeah. and foremost, getting the longevity and the, the cultural fit. I would imagine as well. And something you mentioned is, is the likes of, of kind of Guernsey and these mm. smaller populated areas that, as we know, have a lot of offshore jurisdictions in place and therefore require talent. How do you go about finding these people? I mean, we, we mentioned Brexit before. Has that played an issue? What are the things from a recruitment perspective that have provided extra challenges to perhaps the mobility of the professionals you need to move on and off of such islands? It's, it's a difficult one because obviously it's based on a situation basis, right? With a particular candidate or professional, um, they may be looking to relocate for personal reasons, in which case, you know, we, we, we've helped many professions of that um, nature. Um, but yeah, it's generally building a, a good network with these people and providing them with a good service and ensuring that, you know, we, we they can trust us. I think that's the main thing to ensure that you know, we, we can do successful in our jobs as well. Absolutely. And something, this isn't actually the first time that IQEQ and Agroot have, have worked together from a thought leadership perspective. Chris, you actually created a report with the help of some of your colleagues about a year ago now, which looked at where trust professionals should sit within a family office. So should that be perhaps within the family office exclusively? Should that be with an external provider such as yourself or both? It'd be great, Serge, to hear your viewpoints on where family office resources should sit. Is it a combination of both? Is it kind of one or the other? And what are the perhaps advantages and disadvantages of each? I think there is no truth in in, uh, how you should organize a family office. Uh, It it really depends on what first the family wants to achieve. And second, very often, it's a question of the first persons they have to start the family office. Is it going to be more a legal person? Is it going to be more an investment person? It can, it can change a lot. It can vary. And in the end, you know, you can support the family office in a way uh, of having basic uh, 
supports like accounting, reporting solutions, these kind of things. Or you can provide uh, to them outsourced CFO services or outsourced COO services. Mm -hmm. And really there is, as I said, there is no perfect solution. And in fact, it's according to what the people want. Some people do not want to have in-house basic tasks. And others, they want to have control on the basic task, but they want to have support for very specific things that uh, are too complex or that uh, they could not hire someone to do it in each and every country they're investing. So it's really, there is, no, there is no perfect situation. And in fact, we have to adapt to that. So we have to have, you know, for example, as I mentioned, the outsource uh, solutions for high-end uh, uh, professionals to provide them with talents. Uh, but also we need to be able, on the other uh, range of the services, to provide them with very basic reporting solutions. Yeah, and I'd love to ask you the same question, Chris, in just a moment, but while we're on the subject, that, I suppose in a lot of businesses, when you're not dealing with family offices, there's perhaps more consistency or there's a, a go-to-market approach and you can say, well, this has been really successful for another client, so we can, we can perform a similar strategy. In family offices where each family is as different as, or every family office is as different as the family behind them, what are the other challenges you have as a, as a corporate services provider when approaching a family office or when having that relationship with those? What, what are the key challenges that you face? It, it really depends on uh, what, what is the previous, I mean, the existing relationship we, we might have with the family office. For example, if we just, if we are their trustee, so we have an overview on the uh, on the assets and liabilities of the families, because I mean, very often the people forget that there is a liability side of the balance sheet, even for a family. So we have that global view. If we are just providing services to an SPV in one of the countries in which we operate, we operate in twenty four countries. It's a complete different uh, uh, approach, in fact, because we are not going to be considered as being the same. Um, uh, you know, they, they are not going to ask us the same, the same type of questions or the same type of further services. And so we have to approach the, the, uh, the client, the family office in a different way. What we have seen is uh, more and more the family offices are our competitors in, term, in terms of hiring talents. And uh, they are also the competitors of private defense, as we, we all know. Uh, or real estate funds if they invest a lot in, in real estate. But they are also our competitors. But we, we tend to uh, be uh, quite happy when they hire someone who has worked for them within our organization because if everything went fine before, if they were happy of the service, and if the person who used to work for us was happy also working for us but found that specific opportunity working for the family office, there is going to be a continuity and we are going to be able to provide them new services and having a special link with the person. Mm-hmm. So that's also a way, I mean, we have experienced it quite a lot in places like, uh, for example, like Luxembourg, uh, where the people wanted to have their own family office in cert- at a certain stage or a second family office. You know, they had their main family office somewhere, I don't know, in Asia or in, uh, in, in London, for example, but because they had 
the, uh, the structure in Luxembourg. They wanted to add substance and to start working from there. So they hired someone from us. But in fact, it's, it, it creates a better link in the end. I can imagine, I can, you know, we speak about a gatekeeper situation quite often within the family of this, especially when, when dealing with providers such as Akiwiki. So I think, I think Chris describes um, family office trust professionals as an agent that deals, deals with both. Um, and on that note, you mentioned the, the kind of competition for talent. Where do, you, where do you think family office professionals should sit? Asking you the same question I did a moment ago. You, know, you place people within family offices and you also place people within the likes of IQEQ, so you really do see the benefits of both worlds. Yeah. What are the advantages and disadvantages of each? And perhaps another question is, where would you want to be if you were a trust professional? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I think, just based on what Serge was saying, you know, where a family office has taken a trust professional out of a company and there's that strong link there going forwards I think that's a that's a great point it happens so often uh, globally um, because that family office has built that relationship with that prospective person and I suppose from a, an IQEQ perspective as you say you have to look at the positives right that person will have a good connection with you guys for hopefully the time that they're at the family office so there's going to be the continuation of that relationship which is great um, but I think the pros and cons, well, the, 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 just to answer your question, the advantages and disadvantages of whether to work in-house or family office or to work for a, a corporate service provider, it, it's, it, there's, no, there's no right answer. Um, there's pros and cons to both. It has to be on a situation basis. You have to look at each opportunity and work out if it's right for you or if it's, or if it's not. There could be um, reasons to not want to work for a family office and there could be reasons not to want to work for an international service provider so it's a very difficult question to answer based on what you prefer you have to look at it from a personal perspective and how how it fits well with your career and life or you know whatever it may be absolutely it can be also a question of uh, of uh, the the life cycle you're in yeah because i mean a lot of people have started with uh, working with a trustee for example and one day they work for one family and it's because I mean they were um, they were very happy. They know the family. They were very happy because the risk is you go and work for one family, and you have one employer, and you 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 might have if you have a problem with your own your only client who is also who is also your employer, you're you're in deep trouble. Okay. Okay. So I mean a lot of people I mean start by working for multi clients. In, in a trust company, and one day if they feel comfortable, they want to change their, their, their way of working, their life, and they know the family very well, they have experience working with them, they go for it. 100%, yeah, so it's, uh, it's fascinating really, and obviously I believe no matter how big, um, there's always going to be a need for the external advice, you know, the likes of IQEQ and so forth, so, you know, they pay, they, it's, a key, it's key to their success family office so, uh, yeah. I think it comes back to that report that we did which described it as needing an inner and an outer circle inner being the, mm-hmm. the kind of in-house expertise within a family office and then the outer advice and it's that thing isn't it is you as a family office leader will always want the autonomy and the control of seeing someone in your office and saying I need you whether it's mm-hmm. 2 o'clock in the morning or perhaps yeah. later on at night but at the same time that can't necessarily mm-hmm. be compared with the expertise and experience of an entire organisation so 
think the conclusion is definitely you will always need you will always need both. Yeah. Um, and and also, I mean, I know a number of families that are so, they want so much security. They want to have more than four I principle. So they want to have their own people, mm-hmm. but they they don't want to be in a situation where two they their own people have the whole information and have the whole control mm-hmm. and everything. So if ever they have a problem with them, they they want to be able to separate from them mm-hmm. without any problem and having a backup. So that's why, I mean, they work, and sometimes they don't work only with one trust company, they work with two, plus their own people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how would you, if you were informed, for instance, of a family that was working with yourself and another trust provider, would you have communication with them or would they be treated as completely individual? It, it, uh, no, very often, I mean, we have communication with them. So it, it, it depends how it's organized. Sometimes, you know, you are the trustee and other another trust company has the SPVs, for example. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so, in fact, you have to communicate because, mm-hmm. uh, you I mean, there is a direct relationship of ownership yeah. uh, in one way or another. Uh, other times, it's too separate uh, um, uh, silos, in, in fact, in terms of maybe one silo is going to be uh, the, uh, the the investments in uh, in Asia, and the other ones are going to be the investments in Europe. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there is little less connections between the two trustees. I can imagine. I can imagine. I guess it's interesting because we've always spoken to family office professionals about how you can be really passionate and really dedicated to your role and family office principles want you to be because longevity is so important that they need you to be embedded into the family but you can't be too precious because at the end of the day it's not your decision and it's not your wealth and you can be the most educated and experienced person on that very decision but if the principal decides to take another route you have to stand there and let it happen and I guess I've never looked at it in the way that as a provider you also have to have the same mentality because in any other situation, if you saw a competitor on the same on the same table as you, if you went to meet the principal, it might be perhaps awkward or a little strange. But it's that idea of working together for a common goal, um, which is whatever the principal wants. <laughs> Indeed. At the end of the day. Um, so I guess one final question before we move on to the final questions, so perhaps it's a penultimate one, is you mentioned the demand for talent and how a lot of family office professionals now have perhaps come from the likes of IQEQ or other trust and corporate services firms. Chris, a question for you. When a trust professional comes to you and says, actually, I want to I want to move inside, I want to go and work for a family office, what can you prepare them for? What, what advice would you give them? What are the challenges that they can expect indoors? I think, and this goes for anyone who wants to work for a family office, not just trust and corporate service professionals. You know, you need to be able to wear multiple hats. You know, you'll be thrown in the deep end a lot of times and you perhaps won't have the support function that perhaps an international corporate service provider will have you know the legal teams that you know there's this there's, there's you're basically you're a lot more hands-on shall we say um, so yeah I think acting as an agent for sort of, for both parties my first task would be to basically know the professionals well in, inside out um, and get a better understanding of what it's provide them with a better understanding of what it's like working for a family office and that particular family office and being upfront and ruthless in, in times because you have to let them know exactly what to expect um, and if they're uncomfortable with that you just have to move on and let them know that unfortunately this, this is not going to be quite right but I've had situations where candidates have, the first thing they've sort of said to me is oh um, 
what's the remuneration, what's the benefits, what's the salary, etc. It's not about that. It, you know, you, you have to. This is this is can be a, a sort of job for life for a lot of people. So, um, and for us working with these clients for many years now, we need to ensure that they're they're going to be successful for the long term. And you know, I've had these situations, and I've simply just said to that to that particular person, "That's not going to work. I can't. I can't speak to you anymore. If it's just salary, if it's just remuneration, then." We can't, we can't work with you. Um, so you have to be ruthless and you have to be consistent with all of the candidates you speak to. And I think, um, yeah, they have to know the ins and outs of what they're getting into and have a clear plan as well. You know, it needs to work both ways. Family offices need to provide them with an insight of what they're getting into, um, whether that's you know, signing NDAs to ensure that they're fully comfortable with their long-term plans and objectives and, and if it fits well with kind of what they're looking for in their career, really. So, yeah. Amazing. I think that's some great advice for, for anyone listening. Um, and to now perhaps recap on the trends of the year and the talking points to come. You know, we've had regulations and restrictions, conflict and COVID, everything and anything. Uh, this time of recording, I'm not sure when exactly we'll publish, but today it was Boris Johnson's resignation speech. And to actually be reminded of everything that's happened in the last three years, whether it was for perhaps you know, to, to save grace on the last attempt or to actually recap it's It's amazing to think about the things that have happened in the last three years. And as you said, we couldn't have expected at least half of them. What have been the biggest talking points for you and your company um, in the last 12 months? And also looking into 2023, what are the top trends that you're expecting? So we, we, uh, we, we work with three kind of clients, three, uh, three market segments. One of them is the uh, asset managers, especially working on private assets. So private equity, real estate, uh, venture capital, private debt. So this uh, this is the biggest uh, market segment for us globally in the world. The second one is asset owners, and within the asset owners, the huge part, the, the biggest part is uh, family offices, and the last part is large corporates and capital markets. So um, the, um, the 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 big, I mean, the uh, in terms of strategy, we have been investing a lot in the U.S. Uh, recently, we have more than 25% of the revenue of the group now in the US. We had almost none in the past. We had huge US clients abroad, so which means in Europe, in Asia, and even in Africa, but we didn't have them locally. And uh, so uh, we invested a lot. We made uh, large acquisitions there. Uh, we are going to announce uh, very soon an, another one. Uh, the um, in the US, I mean, speaking of family offices, I mean, we see that the family offices are very often bigger than the funds, than the asset managers themselves, and they want extremely sophisticated services. And where we invest, we invest a lot in the quality of the services and the range of services we can provide to asset owners, to family offices. This is extremely important to us. And we have heard, all, the, all I mean, uh, in the last 10 years or 15 years in Europe, a lot of things about family offices and uh, ultra high net worth clients, uh, people saying this part of the business is a little uh, dangerous because you never know about the reputation of the client, the family can have a reputational issue or these kind of things. In fact, those are incredible, incredible professionals nowadays. I mean, uh, you, you provide uh, uh, talents to their, to their family offices, very often, the family offices themselves, in terms of investment professionals or legal or tax professionals, are substantial. They are they are big, and they are, as I as I said it, they are extremely sophisticated. And we work with them, 
as if we work for institutional players. And we have to make sure that everybody understands that those important family offices are the ones that are going to be uh, our largest clients in the future. Because they are investing in each and every asset class. They are very diversified in terms of geographies, but also the um, family matters make it difficult for certain of our peers to service them because they are not they are, they are very good when servicing institutional clients or servicing asset managers because everything is very straightforward the best solution is the best solution but when you work for for a family the best legal solution is not always the best solution for them because they are personal considerations that make uh, or family history that make things uh, uh, different. And you need to have, you know, that's why we are called IQEQ. You need to have the IQ in terms of providing them the best solution uh, uh, from a professional manner, but you need the EQ part as well to understand how families um, work and they are there is no one family, I mean, which works, I mean, which uh, organize themselves like another one. But you need to understand that and you need to be able to provide them services according to the EQ part as well. Amazing. And something you mentioned about the, the US is something we're experiencing in, in Saudi Arabia and many parts of the Middle East at the moment is whether it's off the back of a, an IPO or another liquidity event, we're seeing a lot of family businesses create family offices to really professionalize their wealth. And some of yes. the existing family offices that we've been working with are so institutionalized, it's it's incredible. It's As you said, there's, there's no two that are alike, but would you say that's moving into 2023, that's what we'll see more of in the US and the Middle East and perhaps even parts of Europe is the, the move to be more institutionalized and standardized, perhaps especially in the wake of regulation? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think also families understand the importance of hiring the best talents. And, and they do compete with the private equity funds or real estate funds, which means that they need, we, 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 I mean, as you said, it's not only about money, but it's all about the remuneration model. So you cannot attract a person who would be a partner in a private equity fund with a family office if the person doesn't have a current interest formula. And we see it more and more. I mean, we, we work for families where the head of the family office, of the investment office, has a kind of carried interest. So they take, uh, you know, for example, uh, uh, um, uh, a lot of 500 million of investment. And five years after, they look at how much it's, uh, and th- those investments are valued. And there is a kind of carried interest being paid to the uh, with shadow shares, for example, or shadow options, I mean, paid to the uh, to the head of the family office, and that's the way also to attract the best. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really interesting, actually, because that's in line with what we're predicting for 2023, perhaps on a compensation front, with the rise of the LTIP. And we surveyed our network and found that more than 60% of what we would describe as executive, so kind of CEO, managing director, and investment professionals, more than 60% would love an LTIP 
but less than one in three receive one. And of the one in three, it's it's not carried interest. It's not, it's you know, it's it's more a deferred loan or it's a opportunity to come invest, but after a certain threshold. And I think that's something we're really passionate about is is talking to family officers and saying, well, actually, if you want the longevity and you want this hire to stay with you for the long term, you want them to to treat your wealth as if it's their wealth, not necessarily to spend it, but if you <laughs> to, want the best, if you want the best, yeah. if you want the best, if not. You are going to have. You are not going to have the best. Absolutely, absolutely. And to perhaps give a final note on the talent front, do you anticipate LTIPS kind of entering the the trust space? And do you think just this surge of demand is, is going to continue? Definitely. I mean, there's a huge surge of demand. You know, the industry that you guys work in is such a administrative, RN type, compliance regulated environment. So there's there's a growing talent um, in, in that particular field and especially as you say the family office is looking to hire the best of course you, know, you need to have the right structures in place to hire the best and some family offices unfortunately they don't quite they don't quite get that they're not quite keen to offer these structures um, which is quite surprising because you know we've come across some top top professionals who are sort of realizing that now and they haven't been rewarded these structures and they've sort of brought it to their attention and Haven't, you know, they're, they're, these family offices don't look to change their ways in that, that particular. Um, It might be a question of generation as well. Maybe you know some some uh, some some people who have created the wealth mm. in particular think that they were the only one creating the wealth, mm. and they don't see why they should share. Yeah. In, in, in the future, and I think maybe the second generation or third one wants to have the best professionals, and they understand what is. Mm to pay the best professionals. Mm. And, and I think yeah. to have an LTIP, to have you know, an incentive uh, w which is in alignment, and not mm. alignment uh, is very important. I mean, even with us, you know, we have uh, now a, a little more than 4,000 people within the mm. group. And within the 4,000 people, we have almost 400 people who are shareholders. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes a huge difference, yeah. which means that You know, in our industry, I mean, most of most of the uh, of the of, of the big players are owned by private equity, mm. or are some of them were listed. But the most important thing is to make sure that the people are fully incentivized, mm. and they the day there is uh, a liquidity event an exit, they need to also have mm. uh, a part of the uh, of the value creation they have made, yeah. and this is extremely important. This is the. Uh, Uh, I, I think you cannot do it anymore with, mm. without that. And I'm very proud to have all those uh, shareholders within the group. Yeah, that's amazing. And it just goes to show that you know you've adapted to perhaps the new generation. And I think for the the old general, the old generation, which is currently still in place now, for the people that for the family offices that don't want to provide these old tip structures, um, it's kind of like they think that they can easily replace that person who's yes. been in that role for 10 years. So they just think, okay, I'll just find someone else. But it's not that easy. You know, that person has structured things for I don't know, 10, 20 years, however long they've been there. So it's a, you know, they need to reward that person and give them a plan for the next 10 years to, so to ensure that they, they can be happy. So I think that that's a, that's a good vital point for a lot of these family officers. I think without the danger of moving into succession planning and legacy planning, I think perhaps we're going to need a, a part two um, <laughs> because that's all we've got time for. But for, for anyone listening, um, obviously, Chris, you're a, a, an Agri's team member, so you'll be on hand to answer questions. Serge, you're on our thought leadership council. And so, unfortunately, you're also stuck with us 
unfortunately for you, perhaps fortunately for us, um, to answer any follow-up questions that anyone might have. Thank you to both of you so much for your time and for your wisdom. That's, that's it from us. Thank you for listening. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you.